Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this is the final episode of our Emergency Preparedness Week series, the EP Week After Action Report. In this episode, we'll make the argument that despite what we've long been told, perhaps the best time for motivating preparedness is during an incident and not before, as we reflect on the occurrences of Emergency Preparedness Week 2020. We'll be chatting with preparedness professional Rebecca Macklin from the Alberta Emergency Management Agency and listening to her experiences in preparing during a pandemic and how to really take the preparedness message home. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. Now, in some ways, Emergency Preparedness Week has always been a little bit like Groundhog Day. We hear the same old messages over and over in the same old way, and many organizations will unpack the same old stack of outdated flyers, the fraying display boards, and perhaps, if you're lucky, a shiny toy or two to bring out and and play show and tell with the public. If you're really lucky, a helicopter will land, everyone will go ooh and ah, and a few people will buy a few more cans of beans, then we'll pack it away for next year. But not this year. This year, in my opinion, was the best emergency preparedness week ever. (laughs) That's right. Initially, some might have even wondered if EP Week was going to be cancelled, along with so many other events. However, although it's been a very busy time for EM professionals across the country during the COVID-19 response, and it's true that EP Week was quite different than in prior years, in some ways the preparedness message was actually even more powerful. Having adequate supplies at home was certainly top of mind everywhere, and perhaps most importantly, we were reminded that disasters can strike any time, even during an existing one. We saw emergency managers rise to the challenge in northern Alberta as the playbook completely changed for flood response. I think we've also seen a bit of a change in the preparedness message overall as well. You know, gone are the days of the 72 hours prepared kit slogan, uh, and we've actually had some really innovative preparedness initiatives. Speaking of refreshing preparedness messaging, I had the chance to connect with Rebecca Macklin from the Alberta Emergency Management Agency over Emergency Preparedness Week, and she had some very interesting things to say about presenting preparedness as an integrated facet of everyday life as opposed to a once a year chore. So let's listen to the interview. My name is Rebecca Macklin, and I'm the Manager of Integrated Learning and uh, Public Education for the Alberta Emergency Management Agency, which is uh, out of the government of Alberta. And uh, I've worked at AEMA for the last four or so years. I actually joined emergency management, a very different background, actually. I, I fell into the position because I had some skills that lend themselves to this job posting that I thought looked really interesting. And And then uh, shortly after I started working at AEMA, uh, we had the Fort McMurray wildfire and I learned very quickly what emergency management was all about, uh, literally, you know, through the, an active fire. So we designated uh, a position dedicated to building the personal preparedness program and and I filled that role. And uh, then I moved into the management position uh, shortly after that. What is a personal preparedness position and why is that important that it's, it's being highlighted in this organization? Uh, well, actually, for a long time, AEMA has known that personal preparedness, uh, educating the public about what they should do uh, to prepare themselves for an unexpected situation is, has always been a priority, but it's been very difficult to uh, 
prioritize all of the priorities in emergency management. Uh, response often takes a lot of our time and effort um, and uh, planning um, also does, but that individual preparedness level has always been something that um, we've all, everyone has kind of shared a little bit of, but there was not one dedicated person to building a more a holistic program. We were talking about it around the time that the Fort McMurray wildfires happened, and then uh, shortly after that, we switched on and we had a dedicated person um, filling that role. So the wheels were already in motion before that fire happened, but got that dedicated person into that position um, shortly after. Nice. Uh, that's so that's so nice to hear that uh, uh, dedicating a resource. Um, I definitely remember hearing from some other people in AAMA that a objective without a resource is a is a wish. So yes. glad to hear that that's that's happening. So uh, what I've noticed about personal preparedness messaging in general is that over the last couple of years, there seems to be a shift from the make a 72 hour kit. And that's really the only message that's going out there to this idea of a culture of preparedness or whole society preparedness. What does that mean and how can it be realized? Uh, the 72 hour kit concept, if you do some digging into it, it's actually hard to, to, to really pin down where that came from. It was in the 1970s in the United States, I believe is when that started to kind of ramp up. I think it was in the 70s. I might have my decade wrong, but it's hard to find any like real science to say that that actually is the the one size fits all. It, it isn't. We know that it isn't. You know, when people are affected by, uh, it could be an emergency where it's a, maybe a single home fire or it's a large scale community event. You're, you're needing to be prepared for much longer than 72 hours, especially lately. We've seen communities being impacted for weeks or months. I mean, look at Fort McMurray, people took a very long time to return home and some um, never did. So the concept of have three days of supplies just doesn't doesn't cut it anymore. And in fact, we're not doing anybody a service by saying that because there's so much more that you can do. Really just having a conversation with somebody about where you would go and what you would do if, if that bad thing were to happen, that's, that's much more effective really than uh, having a kit that you may or may not use. So how do we make that shift to to whole of society preparedness and what is AMA doing to, to support that concept? Uh, so we've stopped saying 72 hour kit, although I, I have to say um, it feels like a bit of a whack-a-mole because 72 hours keeps popping up. We keep seeing it and we keep having to say, no, nope, we're not saying 72 hours anymore. It's an emergency kit. Uh, an emergency kit looks very different depending on what your situation is. So um, by saying 72 hours, we're kind of pigeonholing ourselves. So, so we're changing the language and that's part of it. We're also, if you look at our website, we're weaving in financial preparedness and making sure that you have your insurance up to date and that you're calling your insurance provider. Um, we're also trying to weave in more thinking about getting to know your neighbors and building in those, those relationships and the, the networks around you because a lot of studies um, have shown that uh, the more connected you are to the people around you, the faster you'll make it through whatever that emergency is and the faster you'll, you'll build back better, I guess is one way to say it. Um, people who are isolated and don't have those connections, they just don't roll as, as well um, through those tough times as people who have a network of support in place. Yeah, that idea of, of social capital is so important. And I see great initiatives like the Adopt-A-Grandparent or the community outreach programs. What about businesses or other organizations? Uh, what's kind of being done for them? They're definitely in the news right now around uh, small businesses and these other organizations that have been hit really hard. How can 
they prepare. Business continuity um, planning is a, a big part of uh, preparing a business for what they need to do, but that is one area of our program that we really need to focus on. I'm, sh I'm certain that's going to be priority in the next year. I'd be shocked if we didn't start making more headway on that, especially given everything that we're going through. So businesses can look at it in a very similar way to uh, an individual would in terms of preparedness. It's building those networks, uh, thinking about whatever it is that's integral to your, your company and trying to have a plan and then practicing those plans, right? That's part of it is building that muscle memory. You can have a plan, you can think through it, but if you don't practice those plans or and talk about them on a regular basis with the people in your, in your network, then it, that plan's just not going to it's not going to do you any good when the bad things happens. Yeah, bringing bringing the plan to life is a, a huge challenge, and of course, the other challenge is making the leap between awareness and action, and that seems to be one yeah. of the the biggest problems that's ongoing. And you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but from your perspective, uh, why don't people prepare, and how can we break down the barriers that exist? Oh, there's so many reasons why people don't prepare. A lot of what I'm seeing is. Many people just don't believe it will happen to them. If that happens to somebody else, it's not going to happen to me. A year ago, would we think we'd be facing a global pandemic while flooding is happening in Fort McMurray that just was affected by a fire, you know, a couple of years prior on the anniversary date, nonetheless? Um, yeah, uh, cost is a big is a big one as well, and especially now, given so many people that uh, are being affected financially by self isolation and the closures of businesses, and um, but there's a lot of things that you can do that don't cost anything to prepare yourselves, and that's again having that conversation with the people around you. For me personally, having those conversations with the people in my life, um, like my mom, my brother, my husband. Uh, they don't want to have those conversations normally. People are uncomfortable talking about what would you do if a bad thing happens because it's a scary thought. And But with everything that's happening now and you turn on the news and you see people being affected all the time, it's now is a better time than ever to have those conversations. You, you don't come across as being you know neurotic, I guess, by um, opening up the door to having a conversation about what you might do. And, and that's free. Having those conversations doesn't cost a thing. Um, pulling a kit together from items uh, in your home, that's, that's very manageable. And most of us are stuck in our homes right now anyways. So it's a great project to take on while you're self-isolating. What I did with my kids a couple of years ago, it, uh, it was May, I think, and uh, it was soccer season and there was a thunderstorm and lightning. And so soccer was canceled that night. So it happened to be this night that was opened up for us. My kids were looking out the front window and they saw these uh, lightning bolts coming down and they were scared and they're little, right? So um, I looked at them and I looked how anxious they were and I thought, wow, we've got a couple of free hours and that's very unusual for us. We're a pretty busy family. So that was it. We seized the moment and I pulled up the preparedness kit off of our website and my daughter read that off on her laptop and I, we ran around the house, um, me and my younger one ran around the house and we piled stuff up on my kitchen table. And, you know, within an hour, we had a pretty good kit together. And then over the course of the next couple of months, I slowly added things to my grocery order or, you know, at the hardware store and it didn't take us too long to put that together and it really didn't cost us that much in the end. 
I really like that idea of seizing the the opportunity today to prepare a little bit more. But yeah. We do have a little bit of extra downtime potentially. Some of us definitely don't, but some don't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but there there are uh, there's more opportunity. What I have also noticed is that being forced into a digital social environment mm-hmm. uh, has increased some of the conversations around this you know whether it's the crisis in coffee or the uh, the various webinars or the the mental health moments um, that are coming out how has covid changed the way that we maybe view preparedness or the way that we have to prepare for some of the more i'll say traditional disasters so i think covid has helped bring preparedness into the day-to-day conversations that people are having and it's now it's not strange for us to say how much toilet paper do you have um you know toilet paper has been trending for about two months now and uh, before that, uh, when the East Coast was uh, experiencing their snow hurricane, uh, storm chips were also something that everybody was talking about, right? Before the storm, everybody went to the store and they stocked up on chips. But then after the storm, everyone was lined up for their medications because we, weren't, we were thinking about it in a very different way. But I think now that we've seen the impact that this pandemic has had on us and on the supply chain and what that means for us. Um, more of us now understand the value of having a few more things uh, around the house and uh, just making sure that you're not running out of supplies. So I think COVID, if you're looking for any kind of opportunity maybe in what is a terrible situation, it's that hopefully we can learn a few things from this and uh, more of us are, are thinking about having those extra supplies on hand so we're not panicking. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. The The fact that those who were originally ridiculed for going out and buying two weeks worth of toilet paper and food or whatnot, almost immediately were validated by the fact that they yeah. had to self-isolate for, for two weeks yeah. was so powerful. If it had gone the other way, I think it would have been quite damaging to yeah. a preparedness message. What other sorts of preparedness techniques or things do we, we need to carry forward from, from COVID? What can we move into our new normal? Well, I, th- I mean, I now have extra sanit- hand sanitizer in my go kit. Uh, and uh, I have N95 masks. My husband happened to have some in the garage. We didn't know we had until we saw them talking about N95 on the news. And he said, wait a second, I picked up some of those a couple of years ago. It was a garage sale or something. So, you know, now we have a couple of those in our kit just in case. Um, So, and it's like thinking about if you did have to evacuate, what does social distancing look like while you are evacuating? So we're kind of working that into your plan as well. Yeah, really. And I think most of us now hopefully will have learned that we we should actually probably have maybe one or two packs of toilet paper at our house just in case, you know, like have a couple of things stocked up. And I think medications is a big one too. I know it is at our house. My daughter has type one diabetes. So when you have a chronic condition and you're relying on medication and, you know, extra supplies to make sure that you're healthy, you're going to want to make sure that you've got, you know, more than you need for a certain amount of time is so you don't find yourself caught unaware and, and scrambling to find those supplies. This really has been a focusing event and an exercise in reprioritization, whether it's what's an essential service or what is actually important for that disaster shopping list. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, personal preparedness is one thing, but this has also been incredibly impactful in the way that municipalities 
prepare? Is there any message that uh, you'd like to sort of bring forward or, or any considerations around preparedness for that larger scale or that societal approach? Uh, one thing, like municipalities are, so many of them are doing such an excellent job already of, of educating the public and, and especially the municipality, the communities, I should say, who have been impacted in the past. They've got some really great programs where they're reaching out to their community and some of them are doing it year round, which is, is amazing because what we were doing in the past was we were focusing on preparedness education once a year during emergency preparedness week, which is great, but there are so many other awareness raising campaigns that happen at the same time as emergency preparedness week. And really emergency preparedness should be the way that we are, not one thing that we do once a year. Um, you know, it's every time you go out to the grocery store, maybe pick up an extra can of beans and, and start rotating your stock and, um, you know, reminding the people living in your community, uh, you know, this is flood season, you know, and make that a regular message for them versus, uh, you know, when the flood is coming, remind people in the lead up to that and after the fact or anniversary dates are a great opportunity, but it's, it's about getting that messaging out year round. Um, but communities are busy and the people who are sharing those messages, they're wearing multiple hats. So it's a challenging thing for them to do and have make that a priority when they're um, dealing with so many other things. So um, we tried really hard to create the material on our website as an easy place for communities. Um, and it doesn't have to be a community, like a town or a city. This could be um, girl guide programs or, you know, small community leagues. It can be anybody who's a leader of, of others who can take the material off of our website and use it to educate them and, and create that awareness at any time of the year. How have you brought preparedness home? I mean, you're, you're a professional, you're a, a mother, you're a citizen, you're a responder. How have, have you brought it home? Uh, I'll be perfectly honest, before I came into emergency management, preparedness was not on my radar really at all. I was probably one of the least prepared people because <laughs> I'm busy and I'm trying to do a lot of things and being a mom and working full time and it's just one more thing that you have to add to your list of things to do. But now that I'm in the emergency management community and I understand the impact that it's, it makes and I've seen people close to me lose their homes to a fire and the recovery process when that happens is it's devastating and it takes years and years and years for someone to get through that. So through all of that, I've learned to make it a part of the conversation that we have in our house all the time. When I go out and I buy groceries, I'll talk to my kids about the couple of extra things that I picked up that round to add to our stock. And, uh, you know, we went to the dollar store, this is pre COVID, but we went to the dollar store to um, donate some items to a charity fundraiser at my kid's school. And while we did that, we bought a couple of extra bottles of hand sanitizer actually at the time and some extra toothbrushes just for our kids. So it's just making it part of your day to day and um, seizing those learning opportunities when you can. Uh, recently, the uh, utility provider in our uh, area sent a message out during rush hour. My husband was on his way home and uh, they were recommending that people use less power during you know the peak time and uh, he came home mentioned that to us and the kids and the kids like they jumped into action they started turning all the lights out 
my youngest one went and got the crank radio flashlight and we were, they were cranking it up and using that for our light source. And the other one was grabbing candles and, you know, it wasn't a real emergency, but they jumped at the opportunity to practice what it's like to be in a power outage. And it was fun. It wasn't scary. And I was able to talk to them about candle safety because one of them tried to leave an unlit candle in their bedroom. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it was really great. And now I'm feeling confident that if something were to happen, they could safely manage some of that uh, if we weren't home at the time. So, uh, yeah, being mom, just weaving it into your everyday and then it doesn't feel like it's such an overwhelming chore. I like that. Make it part of your routine and practice on the little things. Yeah. Where, where can people go to find out more? Our website, we have a few different pages on the alberta.ca webpage, but uh, if you Google, went to alberta.ca and in the search window, type in emergency preparedness, that will take you to the main page and you can navigate from there. Um, we've got pages on uh, hazards in Alberta, building a kit. Uh, we even have a, a webpage dedicated for communities to use as a resource to raise awareness within their own communities. So. Thank you so much for joining us for this epic podcast. Really a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thanks a lot, Grayson. Well, that's a very insightful conversation you had, Grayson. I hope we'll see more of this kind of comprehensive preparedness approach for future EP campaigns. And it might be that the 72-hour kits are going to be uh, another relegated uh, entity that's going to only exist in the pre-COVID world. What are your predictions uh, for future preparedness messaging? Well, I really hope we can build on on this year and that we bring a lot of the lessons learned from from COVID into the future. You know, a lot of the things that we were doing was never acceptable. You know, it was it was actually never acceptable to have a reception center plan with people packed into a, a room with cots and not accounting for medical needs and not accounting for physical distancing and not accounting for infectious disease. That was never okay. And now we know that. Uh, I hope that that sort of thing does get implemented and brought into just our, our new normal. You know, the thing I really liked about her approach was was making it an everyday uh, piece of society. And I, I know that's been the goal forever, but I do see it more and more because we're having more and more disasters. It's, it's hard to go a week in Canada without hearing about a blizzard or a tornado or a flood or a fire. So I really do think it's becoming part of our our culture a little bit more, and COVID kick-started that. Certainly. I, I think the community connectedness also, that really goes a long way to this uh, resiliency message we've been speaking about for so long. And, you know, whether you're staying connected during a, a pandemic or another disaster, I think those skills and uh, the creativity that that has um been demonstrated and how communities can come together in non-traditional ways is really powerful and hopefully that will that will continue and as Rebecca mentioned it really is the simple everyday preparedness messages that we need to be promoting you know uh, things like keeping your gas tank full so you're ready uh, never you know never under half a tank and you're ready to evacuate if you need to meeting your neighbors knowing your local resources knowing the specific risk profile for your community uh, just following a checklist and saying that I've got you know four AA batteries and uh you know, <laughs> a, a few cans of beans is not uh, necessarily preparedness. Yeah, I think we've 
completely change what we decide preparedness actually means. And I, I like what you talked about with the community connectedness. You know, I've never been on so many Zoom calls or so many uh, teleconferences, and I've never seen so many emergency operations centers operate virtually. It used to be the case that if you couldn't show up on time for your shift or if you were caught off doing something else, then, well, you just weren't part of the conversation and, and decisions were made without you. Now you can call in. There's so much more infrastructure to collaborate and bring the right people in at the right time. So I really hope that that is, is kept as well. Well, it'd be interesting to hear from our listeners if they have any predictions for what future preparedness weeks are going to look like. How is your organization going to change uh, for EP Week 2021? Uh, we're all ears and certainly uh, be interesting to follow that conversation throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we even have a prize. That's right. We haven't given away our prize yet for Emergency Preparedness Week. So please write in with your Emergency Preparedness Week learnings, and we will enter you to win some epic swag as well as a preparedness book. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Rebecca Macklin for taking the time to chat about her important work with AEMA and delivering a very timely preparedness message. And once again, thanks to all of those who are working tirelessly on the front lines responding to COVID-19. Uh, we are with you physically, we're with you in spirit, and hopefully you too can take a moment to prepare. Stay safe and thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing for local charities. Park Power is a small local business, and like many of you, it's been closely monitoring the news of COVID-19 and the world's rapidly changing circumstances. While many of their team are currently working remotely, the way Park Power does business has not changed, and their commitment to exceptional customer service will remain. Find out more about Park Power's response to COVID-19 at parkpower.ca. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Girl Tries Life podcast is a fellow Alberta Podcast Network member and is all about showing that women are capable of anything when they have the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, a stress reduction coach who is all about helping you reduce your stress so that you can actually enjoy your daily life. Imagine that. In the Girl Tries Life podcast, we alternate between interviews with incredibly inspiring ladies who break down how they got to where they are and coaching episodes that leave you with tangible resources and skills for your own life. Life isn't stressless, but we can help you stress less. So I hope that you'll check out the Girl Tries Life podcast. You can find it at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast. And remember, the most important thing in life is that you try. You've been listening to an epic podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.